0: Soul singer Marvin Gaye, whose career spanned over 25 years, including the birth of the Motown Sound to the 80s, was shot to death yesterday in Los Angeles. Dick Schumaker reports.
1: 69-year-old Marvin Gaye Sr. was taken to police headquarters in downtown Los Angeles last night after being booked on suspicion of murder in the death of his son. Marvin Gaye was visiting his parents' home here in Los Angeles. There was a family argument. The singer was shot in the chest. A little while later, Marvin Gaye died.
2: I like to listen to sick and wrong after I have a hit of my bon I like to listen to sick and after I have a hit of my bomb like like If I need to write a song, but it didn't take me very long. Well, now's the end. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, Adam and Eve, Eve. I yeah. I i and have and a of my bone my bone. Good
1: evening, welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your host, E. Simon.
3: Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. Hello. Hiya. Kate Rambo. Hi.
1: You look a little glum. Though you don't sound glum, but you look a little <laughs> glum. What's what's uh, what's troubling you?
3: I have resting sad face. I don't oh, have the resting bitch face, I have resting sad face.
1: I thought you, uh, you're you worried about your favorite former president going to prison.
3: Um. Again, I will believe it when I see it, it's just not gonna happen.
1: You've never even had a chance to vote for him.
3: Yeah, for the orange man. <laughs> I'm sure I can vote for another tangoed pol- pol- uh, politician soon.
1: Well, my melancholic co-host, um, Here's something to actually be upset about, something that, uh, that actually matters. Sorry to say with a heavy heart here that uh, Diana Ross, First Lady of Motown, lead singer of the Supremes, surrogate mother slash secret lover to Michael Jackson, passed away today at the age of 79. Isn't a bummer? She's not
3: the best. Everyone knows she's not the best singer in the Supremes, but I mean, she had the looks and that's what's more important sometimes. She was great. Drove well, she, Mary to an early death. So she did.
1: Oh, she definitely did. And she was booed at her funeral, actually. Um, however, I think, I don't think the band would have gotten to the level of oh, no, uh, recognition without Diana. without Diana Ross. You know, The, the way I, she did, looks, you know, so I had no idea. Kind of, it was kind of like a Mandela effect kind of thing. I thought she had died already because <laughs> you never hear much about her.
3: Right. I obviously keep up with Diana Ross because uh, a secret little fact about me is that I love Jessica Simpson and I love Ashley Simpson and I follow them both on Twitter. So I ob- I'll i see Diana Ross kicking about because she's Ashley Simpson's mother-in-law. So, well, you know, strength to Ashley Simpson right now in her difficult time.
1: Well, did you know she'd been suffering from Parkinson's?
3: No, but they, they sometimes keep that all hushed up, don't they? Or well, they'll it- just say it's a weird brain thing like what Bruce Willis has.
1: Yeah, like Bruce Willis where they just say it's dementia or Ozzy. You know, Ozzy has Parkinson's. And you know, some people like uh Michael J. Fox has had it for years, but I guess she's had been suffering for Parkinson's for quite quite a while and uh died from complications. Which is yeah, just a, a bummer. Yeah. I mean and you know, the, the other thing I didn't know, she had a huge family. I mean she has been married several times. I knew about that, but she had like biological and stepchildren.
3: Yeah. Uh, it's definitely it's a it's a sad moment i mean i love the supremes we all have like i was saying at the start of summer i always start listening to tons of motown tons of the renettes tons of the supremes just because it's like such like summer music to me and it's going to be a shame yeah i've always loved the supremes too
1: and i have a few of their records like original presses um about years ago but but diana ross born march 26 1944 79 years old um she was raised in the Brewster Douglas projects of, uh, of uh, Detroit, which was <laughs> very sketchy, very low-income just... uh, projects. However, there's a lot of talent in that area. Smokey Robinson came from oh, those yeah, projects. Oh, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um, and Smokey Robinson was the one who introduced her to, uh, well, future lover and uh, I think husband, too, uh, Barry Gordy, who is the founder of the Motown record label um, of Motown. And it nice. was uh, Robinson who introduced, introduced Ross to Gordy, and then Ross decided to form an all, uh, all-girl all singing group. The Primettes is what they were called originally with uh, Mary Wilson and Florence Ballard. But uh, despite the magical touch from Gordy, because Gordy did have a magical touch. I mean, that guy... I mean founded me
3: town. Gordy in yeah. City had a magical I actually, I touch even, as well.
1: I didn't even put that together. Yeah. Both <laughs> anyone named Gordy has magic fingers. Um But it was it was My Barry. Is it was Barry Gordy who who said that uh, who suggested the name change from the Primates to the Supremes. Um but you know, initially they didn't they weren't like an overnight success. Even though you had three beautiful women singing this band with you know um, with just like this angelic sounding voice, they weren't they, uh you know they they were called initially the No Hit Supremes. Do their it lack makes of sense though so because success.
3: Diana wasn't the lead singer, and I can kind of get even though Mary has the amazing voice and like she's kind of like Darlene Love levels of amazing singer, she's just not got the looks like Diana does. So as soon as you put Diana front and center, yeah, she can't fucking sing as well. But it's all about that face. With a face well, like that, all you need is a face like
1: that. Well, I think that's what Barry Gordy ended up doing. He kind of uh, changed the name of the band, changed the look of the band. And then uh, their first, you know, it was three years before they broke out with their with Where Did Our Love Go? It
3: was a like massive a hit for
1: them. And then five, that was the first of five consecutive number ones. You know, Baby Love, Come See About Me etc. So uh, that was between, what, July 64 to May 1965. Um, But there's some here's some fun facts about Diana Ross. I did not even know. Did you know that she dated Gene Simmons for three years? Gene Simmons from Kiss.
3: Yes, because we were talking about this off air because the girlfriend of Gene Simmons before Diana Ross was, was Cher. Cher. And Cher holds no bitterness towards this, uh, of like Jean leaving her for Diana, because I remember reading an interview with Cher who said that if you're going to leave Cher, it better be for somebody like Diana Ross. And I thought, good for you, Cher. That's like how it should yeah, no be. And sour like, grapes there. Yeah, because I'd be like, fuck, I can see why you left me. She's hot as shit, mate.
1: Well, so they were besties. Like, they're good friends. And uh, Cher and Jean had been living together at the time. And so it was Cher who said... To Gene, like, call up Diana, who she called her best friend, um, for Christmas gift suggestions. And it was an innocent uh, suggestion here. But then uh, when uh, Gene and Diana Ross went Christmas shopping, Sparks flew.
3: I bet they did. He's a very charming, affable man. Let's just say that about Gene. I think he could talk a donkey into bed.
1: That tongue. It's that tongue that does it. It is that tongue. And
3: plus, you don't get it because you're a straight dude. But he just turns the charm on. I remember School of Rock. And I just was, became convinced. I was like, this is how Gene gets the ladies. Well, anyway.
1: Gene ended up breaking Cher's heart. And the portrayal initially damaged the friendship between Diana and Cher. Because it was messy. It was a messy situation. Uh, but then Gene and Diana ended up dating for three years. Until 1983. Before uh, parting, parting ways. And moving on. Uh, made, made me think of uh, my, one of my favorite Neil Hamburger jokes. Did you ever hear this okay. joke? Why did Gene Simmons sew Ace Frehley's anus shut?
3: I don't know, Neil Hamburger. I'm sure it's very surreal.
1: So he couldn't produce any unauthorized kiss merchandise. (laughs) Hey! (laughs) (laughs) So um, I was wondering about this, because, you know, Michael Jackson and Diana Ross had a very close relationship, a weird relationship, and there was a 14-year age difference there.
3: They kind of look like each other. I'm just putting it out there.
1: Do you think they ever shagged?
3: I think he might have, like, had some bitty. But that's maybe as close as it ever got to, like, full-on penetration.
1: Well, he referred to her as his mother, his lover, and his friend. Which is also how he referred to Corey Feldman and Macaulay Culkin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Diana Ross is often credited for discovering the Jackson 5, but that's... uh, that's a bit of a lie.
3: Yeah, it's a it's bit of true. a... Well, I mean, yeah, it's a bit of an embellishment, let's put it like that. It was
1: a PR stunt that yeah. uh, I think Barry Gordy ended up uh, doing um, because uh, it was Gladys Knight and Suzanne DePass, who's a former president of Motown Productions, that actually discovered uh, Michael Jackson, the Jackson 5. Um, she also discovered Lionel Richie and the Commodores, Rick James, and DeBarge. But uh, I, she I was the one that I don't that think
3: actually... I know DeBarge. It's not a good name for a band. Rhythm of the Debarge, Night. Debarge. It, it, it doesn't fly in the North, is it? You remember Rhythm of
1: the Night? That was like a big, uh, I think that was Debarge.
3: This is the rhythm of the night. It's the beat the of the rhythm night. of the night.
1: Da, 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 oh, da, da. yeah. I might be wrong, I but I think, I think it was. Well, Michael moved in with Diana in 1969 when he was 11 years old and he lived with her for a full year until the family moved uh, permanently from Gary, Indiana to Encino, California in 1971. And during that time, he referred to Diana as mama and his girlfriend. And Katherine Jackson, his mother, wrote in her book that Michael Michael used called Diana Ross mommy, which must have made her feel great.
3: At 11, it's a bit too yeah, it, you're weird. a bit young. It, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're not young. You're a bit too old. If he was like six or seven, it would be kind of endearing. But, but 11 is being uh, his troubled path, isn't it?
1: And you know he was like, can I get some Biddy?
3: W- oh, come on, right? You're living with Diana Ross. Are you tr- telling me you're not going to try and get bitty?
1: Well, he idolized her. He thought she was the the perfect woman. And uh, when she was uh, named to play Dorothy in The Wiz, you know, the, yes. uh, the black version oh. of Wizard of Oz... Um, what an
3: amazing film. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, Michael, and it, it incentivized Michael to uh, to get into the movie. And so uh, he was in the movie as well with her. Um, and he would tease LaToya and Janet. He would say, you're not pretty until you start looking like Diana.
3: I mean, he's right. He is, I mean, he's actually She's right beautiful. about something.
1: You know, um, allegedly they were engaged twice. Both times Diana broke off the engagement
3: good because it's a weird child situation stop think, this diana
1: yeah i think she realized marrying a well marrying michael jackson who's 14 and a half years younger than she was probably would have been a bit of a career killer for her if you think and about he's it weird.
3: <laughs> it is and weird. He's just it's a creepy. weirdo yeah.
1: yeah um so anyway quick story and this is why they might have actually shagged so while filming the Wiz, um Michael Jackson, uh, Diana Ross was asked to Michael Jackson's apartment in New York and she stayed the night at his apartment in New York. Was his penthouse at the time. Um, one of Diana's assistants had been trying to get a hold of both of them uh, because they were late for filming. Um, and uh, he eventually got a hold of them and was surprised to find that they were both still in his apartment and that, that she had spent the night there. So later on during the shoot, Diana was apparently overheard talking to some girlfriends of hers and said to one of them, well, I'll tell you one thing. Michael definitely isn't gay. And so mm-hmm. when the yeah, assistant Yeah, a woman
3: doesn't prove anything, Diana.
1: Well, when the assistant asked if anything had happened between them, um, Michael said, you'd have to ask her that. And when he asked Diana, she told him, well, you should ask Michael. Ugh. So what do you think? Do you think they boned?
3: I, d- I don't know if they boned, but I will say that The Wiz is an amazing movie. And what's even better is Wizard of Oz 2. Have oh, you God. seen Wizard of, Oz Wizard of Oz? Two is so 2. weird.
1: That is such a it's bizarre like, movie. I forgot about that.
3: It's like the creepiest horror movie of all time. I love Wizard of Oz too, and it's a um, uh, uh, what's unsettling. her name weird weird name from The Craft, who used to own the witchcraft shop.
1: Oh, and, uh, uh, No, what's For- her name? Uh, Faruka Faruka.
3: Veruca Salt, yeah. No, it's... <laughs> I know, it's oh, Veruza Balked. Veruza
1: something, Balik or something. She used yeah, to be right, The Witch Yeah, Story, you know yeah.
3: who we mean. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the weird one from The Craft.
1: So Diana was, uh, you know, one of a kind. She was named Female Entertainer of the Century by Billboard in 1976. She released 25 studio albums. Numerous singles that have sold more than 100 million records. Uh, she was the one female artist to have had a number one single on the Billboard Hot 100 as a solo artist. And Billboard's ranked her the thirtieth greatest Hot 100 artist of all time, and uh, she's you know, also
3: been immortalized by a Niagara Detroit in a painting. Just to oh, let you know, well, that's yeah. good
1: good fact there factoid. Um, <laughs> but she, it. you know, she collaborated with many uh, many musicians, inspired many musicians, um, including another Motown icon by the name of Marvin Gaye. You know, they did right an album on. together, Diana Marvin, nineteen seventy three. I had that record. It's cool. It's got this uh, cool gay fold. Not, not the best Marvin Gaye record, but... Uh,
3: oh, it's, definitely not, but yeah. good for them. Two amazing voices. Very similar ranges as well.
1: Well, this weekend, uh, today actually, happens to be the 39th anniversary of Marvin Gaye's tragic and brutal murder by his own father, Marvin Gaye Sr., who shot his son at point-blank point blank range inside the family's Los, Los Angeles home, April 1st, 1984. Yeah,
3: just the day before his birthday. What a yeah. dickhead.
1: Yeah, the day before his birthday. So, we're going to talk about that. We're going to go into details here about the months before the brutal murder and why this actually happened. But before we get into that, let's have a quick chat, a little heart to heart here about the Sick and Wrong Patron. So, I'm puzzled by this. I am puzzled by this. Our downloads right now are higher than they've ever been for this show. But yet, we just haven't had that many people signing up for the patron. And,
3: well, I mean, times are tough, but we do appreciate all the new listeners who have found us.
2: And
1: have yeah, I, th- I think it's cool, and you know, you can you, you you can check it out. And we obviously we we encourage you to sign up for the Patreon, um, just so you can get some extra content. But if you're a fan of this show and you listen to us every week, which you know a lot of people do, um, all we ask is you to throw us a couple bucks, price of a cup of coffee, to keep this show going, because primarily. The reason why we push Patreon every week is that we're trying not to have to add eight minutes of advertising to every episode, but it looks like we're heading that way. Because um, the thing is, due to our number of downloads, we're getting approached by a lot of networks now, but every time you sign up for a network and you sell your soul, you got to add like eight to 10 minutes of advertising, of, of ads, of every episode, and I'm really trying not to have to do that. If we can, you know, earn some money from Patreon, keep the show going, we can we can actually, you know, remain independent. I don't have to like sell out to some network. It's not even a sellout. You're basically collaborating with the network, and in order to be on the network, you have to add at least eight to ten minutes of advertising every episode. And I just don't want to do that. We've never had yeah. to
3: do that. I would like you know? to avoid that too, if we could.
1: But judging by our current. You know, numbers of people on the patron. I don't think we're gonna have a bunch of a choice. So for five bucks a month, I mean, two dollars, you could you could sign up and just keep the show going. But for five bucks a month, you get access to the second wrong second show. We do a, a bonus show every week here on the show, or every week here on a uh, second wrong. Um, and I gotta say, the second show is a lot more uh, personal, a little bit more saucy. We get to catch up in each other's um, mine and Kate's life. Uh, this week, we chat about the uh, impending layoffs at my work. My uh, my company, along, along with a lot of other companies here, are um, engaging in layoffs. You know, I can't say I'm not worried, but, you know, it's not the first time I've been laid off. God, I've been laid off like five or six times.
3: <laughs> Do you ever um, take it personally? I'm the type of personality where, like, if I'm laid off in a mass layoff, it's fine. It's kind of like, you know, taking the, uh, the Flavor Aid at Jonestown. But if I'm like personally fired, you become my enemy.
1: Well, you can find out on the second show how I feel about it. (laughs) Um, We also share a story of an obsessed podcast fan who murdered the host of his favorite podcast and her husband. I can't say I'm not worried about that, but
3: (laughs) Uh, a bit of a touch of the parasocial there. (laughs) Isn't
1: it? <laughs> so that's just for five bucks a month. You can access the second Wrong Second Show and you can support your favorite podcasters on the Patreon. And if you don't want to sign up for Patreon because you're like, ah, I don't want to have to deal with another subscription app, blah, blah, blah. Well, now we are actually on the Apple Podcast app. We have a subscription to the second show that's available just through Apple Podcasts. So if you just go, I don't know how you listen to the show, but if you open up Apple Podcasts, you can now subscribe Five bucks a month to access second show directly through the Apple Podcast app. So there's two different avenues to support Sick and Wrong. Um, also, for a few dollars more, uh, you can a- get access to the Sick and Wrong Overkill. Kate Rambo uh, did a special on the star signs of serial killers. Yeah, this, this is going
3: to go on the $5 tier. So if you want to hear about my combined love of star signs and serial killers, this is a really fun one because I, ident- I have an Aries Stelium, okay? Uh, people may have noticed that about me. But I uh, identify strongly with Aries. So just going through all these serial killers, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I can see why you had to do it, pal. Next one. <laughs> like Eric Harris, Columbine, Aries, Makes sense. Makes sense, Dee.
1: I had no idea. Um, also, at that level, you get access to the Sick Wrong Archives. The first 10 years... Uh, The Wackerly and Harrison years on uh, SoundCloud playlists, all available on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show. We do appreciate that. Uh, Let me play a quick promo, and then uh, let's chat about the untimely and brutal death of Motown legend Marvin Gaye at the hand of his own father.
2: Ah, fucking. As a Swede, I know something
3: about that subject. Take my word. However, listening to Sick and Wrong without subscribing to their Patreon is something like fucking, like John Wayne Bobbitt. You know, of whom I speak of. The man with a shaft, no helmet. Subscribe to Sick and Rock Patron and get another two inches of satisfaction. Be more like John Holmes than John Wayne Bobbitt. And subscribe to Sick and Rock.
1: Okay, Rambo, let's get into the uh, murder of Motown legend, Marvin Gaye.
3: excited for this one
1: so after years I mean I'm talking decades of torment and abuse Marvin Gaye senior shot his son Marvin Gaye jr. point-blank range inside the family's LA home April 1st 1984 39 years ago to this day Um. Marvin Gaye was a, tr- he was troubled despite, you know, the, his, the beautiful music that he was making. It was definitely sublimation here. You know, he was oh, yeah. sublimating what the, the demons that he had inside through his music, through his sound and his art. Uh, but if, you know, if you listen to it, and you listen closely to the lyrics. I mean, last night I spent the whole night while I was prepping this script, just listening to all the, uh, the Marvin Gaye records. And yeah, I mean, that, that guy suffered a tremendous amount of pain. And you can hear it. You can hear it through his voice. He, you can hear it through his lyrics.
3: Yeah. He's a very conflicted person. And I think a lot of it comes from his uh, dear old daddy. Who well, was that's, I think absolute the absolute asshole.
1: Yeah. I think the yeah. nexus here, the pain was uh, the relationship he had with his father, uh, Marvin Gay Sr., an abusive man who never wanted Marvin Gaye, never wanted his son. And he made no secret of it. The guy was a full on dick. And he took his anger out on his kids, especially Marvin. Really didn't like Marvin. And, uh, not only did, uh, you know, Marvin Gaye endure this abuse of childhood, childhood, he ended up surpassing it. You know, he achieved worldwide fame moving beyond it, which is, you know, commendable. Um, and he achieved worldwide fame as a soul singer for uh, Motown Records in the 60s and 70s. I mean, think how many hits Marvin Gaye had.
3: Oh, loads. Just even his, like, Impala Records ones are enough. You could live off them for the rest of your life.
1: Yeah. So... It's just it's just tragic that someone who could be a worldwide sensation like Marvin Gaye was at the pinnacle of his career having to move back home with his family due to drugs and due to depression and due to you know his failed marriage having to move back home to with his family and then being murdered by his father
3: to get serious for one second. I don't think it's really, I think it happens a lot because most people who are creative, especially musicians are already fucked up people because you want want the attention that you never got in childhood. And I am saying this as somebody who's been in bands for a really long time. It's kind of, you want that adulation that you never ever got from your parents. And I get a lot of this from Marvin, but I mean, his dad was also a very talented musician too
1: yeah, but not the level of maybe that maybe that's one of the reasons he has so much animosity towards his son.
3: I think there's a lot of like Oedipal, like definite like war uh, between these two yeah, going on bitterness and it's sad for both of them, but mainly sad for Marvin Gaye.
1: Sister well, so Jr. Marvin Pence, gay junior, you know his original name, Marvin changed it added yeah. the E because initially it was just gay. <laughs> um, well, his is- family stayed gay. Yeah, his family stayed gay, but then Marvin Gay became gay G-A-Y-E. Um, don't blame him. Uh, he was born April 2nd, 1939 in Washington, D.C. And from the beginning, his, his home was a, a, a violent, turbulent place, you know due to the father. Um, they lived in a rough neighborhood. Uh, they, they lived in a public housing project. Um, gay would describe living in his father's house as living with a king. A very peculiar, changeable, cruel, and all-powerful king. So Marvin Gaye Sr. was definitely domineering.
3: I can kind of relate to that. Like, definitely. I had a very domineering father, too.
1: Was he as violent and abusive as Marvin Gaye Sr.?
3: No, my dad was never classically violent. Like, he would never, ever raise, like, a fist to you. But um, my dad would kill you with words. And, like, I've seen my dad make people cry just from how he's spoken to them. He's like very sharp, cutting Capricorn.
1: <laughs> well, Marvin Gaye Sr. Um, was from Jessamine County, Kentucky, where he was born to an abusive father of his own in
2: 1914.
1: You so, you know, it, it's generational here. Uh, by the time he had a family, uh, Marvin Gaye Sr. was a minister in a very strict Pentecostal church, and he disciplined all of his children severely, in particular Marvin uh, Jr., who got the worst of it. Um, while under his father's roof, uh, young gay suffered vicious abuse from his father almost every day. His sister said in her mem- memoir that uh, uh, Marvin's childhood consisted of a series of brutal whippings, like a perpetual series of brutal whippings by his dad. Um, gay later said that uh, by the time he was 12, there was an inch on his body that hadn't been bruised and beaten, which is terrible to even think about. I mean, this kid was like... You know, he's not even a teenager yeah. yet. It makes me Um, think of
3: Bukowski, doesn't it? But there's going to come a day, a retribution day, where you suddenly realize that you're bigger and taller than your old man.
1: Well, definitely, and I think that that's one thing that led to uh, his untimely death. Yeah. Um, the abuse prompted him, though, to turn to music as an escape, and I think that's kind of what what he did here. To you know, he obviously his personal life was was very troubled and violent, abusive, and I think he he use music to, to, to get away from that. Um, he also said later on that if it wasn't for his mother's encouragement and care, he would have killed himself as a child. Yeah, so, this is
3: already a sad person who's beginning life just with the worst possible setup, isn't it? You're not gonna be- turn out to be like Johnny Nice Guy with this set of history behind you. You've got trauma and abuse.
1: Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, Marvin Gaye Jr. definitely suffered from a lot of abuse, but you're wondering like, what? Why? Why did Marvin Gay Senior have such a chip on his shoulder for his son? Why did he? Why did he abuse his family, but in particularly Marvin, that severely? Um, you know, it's we we might not, not ever know for sure, but yeah. um, Marvin Gay Senior definitely had a, a complicated personal relationship himself. You know, his. Yeah. Uh, you know, he had a. You know, they say he was homosexual. I mean, there's rumors that he was homosexual, and that, that's not, that has never been proven to be true, but what, what, But one of the reasons why the source of the rumors, why people said he was homosexual is because uh, he was a cross-dresser, which was a behavior at the time that was linked to homosexuality. Um, according to Marvin Gaye, his father often wore women's clothes. Um, quote, there have been periods when my father's hair was very long and curled under, and when he seemed quite adamant in showing the world the girlish side of himself,
3: are the trans uh, haters going to come for Marvin Gaye Senior?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's seems such you know contradictory behavior considering he's a Pentecostal minister.
3: Well, I no, mean, they usually are up to no good, aren't they? Show me like there's very few church-going men who are actual church-going men, right?
1: Yeah, it's 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 very odd that he was a. Uh, Crosschester, which I imagine to young Marvin, that must've been very confusing at the time.
3: Uh, yeah, you know? I think Stu- Stuart from the Discord <laughs> could ring in with feelings about what it's like <laughs> to have a tranny for a dad. Uh,
1: but yet, I mean, the abuse didn't stop um, Marvin Gaye from developing an extraordinary talent for music. Uh, he was performing at his father's church at age four and he mastered both the piano and drums by the time he was a teen. And he had a deep love for R&B and doo-wop.
3: He, I mean, he's a fantastic musician. He played the clarinet. He played the guitar. His drumming is the amazing. Prodigy. Yeah, and he drummed on my favorite Marvelettes uh, track as well. I love the Marvelettes. He's fantastic.
1: Well, as he was becoming a professional musician and making a name for himself... He, you know, went to great lengths to distance himself from his uh, from his dad and the toxic Kids. relationship that he had with his father, and that's what inspired him to change his name from Gay to Gay with an E. So uh, he changed his name. Also, people say he changed his name in order to quell rumors that he and his father were both homosexuals.
3: I mean, it must be tough growing up with a last name Gay. But just slapping on an E on the end of it—I mean, over here, people would be like "Gay" <laughs> when they saw you in school. <laughs> wouldn't. It wouldn't stop anyone. I mean, he could have changed it to like Marvin Day,
1: you know? I mean, he could have changed it completely. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he grew up and he had some kind of attachment to it. But I think, I think it's all. I just think it's also kind of funny that people thought he and his dad. We're in a relationship, okay. like a homosexual relationship, just because <laughs> their last name was Gay.
3: It's totally what you'd be bullied for in school. <laughs> it's like just so obvious. It's funny. It's like a boy named Sue, right? You're going to get given the worst name. It's going to make you strong, <laughs> no matter what.
1: <laughs> well, Gay not only changed his name to G-A-Y-E, he also Yay. left uh, left D.C. and he moved in with a colleague of his to Detroit. And that's where he was able to uh really build a name for himself um you know he uh became enmeshed with motown records um you know worked with barry gordy and he was quickly signed to the label because obviously barry was like wow this guy's incredibly talented and uh soon after he married uh barry gordy's older sister anna who was the um, family now yeah so he was he was married into the motown uh family here um so Gay soon became the Prince of Motown and he enjoyed monumental success for like 15 years. Uh, but the relationship with his father never really healed. It was always toxic, like, which kind of blows my mind because you think like, wow, your son's a huge success. Your son has you know, loads of money now. He's obviously taking care of the family. You'd think the father would be like, you know, let's just heal old wounds. You know, it's water under the bridge. Let's move on. But no, it, it actually made him more bitter.
3: Of course, it made him more bitter because his son's demasculating him even further, yeah. and he's now taking the breadwinning role on in a lot of ways and caring for his family. I think his father is a horrible, pathologically violent man. Just That's going to be bitter, passed down to man. Marvin. Yeah, well, passed and down from
1: his own from his grandfather.
3: From his own. I mean, like cycles just repeat themselves. At, at some point, like what Marvin. Is doing right now I'm totally far I think if you're ever in Any type of abusive relationship I know it's easy to say Get the fuck out But you should Just cut them off Just cut them off And get the fuck out of there There's no like Excuse for it In this day and age
1: But I think But the thing is Marvin had different back then Marvin had a very close relationship With his mother Yeah And you know His sister and his brother I think it's were all
3: being abused though
1: They all were being abused I'm just surprised That he didn't try to extricate them from the father but i think instead he you know paid for their home and you know supported them financially and i think that is what exacerbated the father's um hatred hatred you know towards his son and bitterness towards the son
3: i mean i get it it was totally different times back then it was much more of like a family setting wasn't it but now you'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, like, it's like... You pay for their lawyers and their houses. Get the fuck out of there.
1: I mean, Marvin's at the pinnacle of his career. I mean, he could have moved anywhere. He had his own family. It's like, why don't you yeah. just you know, tell your dad to fuck off and move on?
3: I, would like, I, I don't want to paint Marvin Jr. off as like a really nice guy, though, because we're definitely going to talk about what a horrible bastard he was, too.
1: Yeah, no, he was a dick. He inherited a lot from his uh, from his daddy. Oh, so did. by the time Marvin Gaye finished what would be his last tour in 1983, um, you know, I actually uh, purchased an album that I'd never owned from Marvin called In My Time, which came out in, like, 1981. You, you probably don't even know that record. i never heard that record, but... It was a commercial bomb for him, but it's a phenomenal album. And I think later years after he died, people recognized appreciated it. appreciated it. Well, that's the thing with Marvin Gaye's records. When you listen to his music, you can just hear every, every sample. How many times? It's kind of like Funkadelic or Parliament. You know, every rap artist has sampled this music.
3: Amy so Winehouse. Yeah. Tears Dried on Their Own. Samples Marvin Gaye. It's
1: I mean, it it was so influential. But what he did with this In My Time record that came out in the early 80s was a complete departure from what he had been doing before. It's like this funk record, almost like a kind of electronic funk record.
3: Yeah, I have definitely not heard that. I kind of be interested.
1: It's good. It's really good. I I, uh, read a copy of it.
3: Record companies don't know what to do with you if you suddenly decide, oh, yeah, I've been this, like, soul and, like, you know, kind of, let's get it on.
1: And then you change your style. And
3: and you change it up. Record companies are just, like, don't know how to market you, don't know what to do with you, especially back then.
1: Well, that's the thing with Marvin Gaye, though. He went through a lot of transitions through his career because, like, you know, he was doing classic doo-wop, you know, Motown music in the 60s. And you know, heard it through the grapevine. There's so many songs that he did. Yeah, that he were, went political. You know, classic, yeah. And then during the war, he got really political. Of, like, what's going on? And
3: God, he hated that, by the way.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm sure he didn't want to did. put
3: out. Didn't want to put out that album, but he did. But I
1: mean, it was a massive su- success, you know. And you yeah. you listen to, uh, you know, I was listening to the record "I Want You," which is just a brilliant record. It used to be my sexy time record for years.
3: Oh, hi. Yeah. Oh, it's so good.
1: It is so good. Both sides of that album. It's amazing. Um, But anyway, by the time Marvin Gaye finished uh, his last tour in 1983, he developed a gnarly cocaine addiction to cope with the pressures of the road, as well as his failing marriage and ultimately failed marriage and divorce um, with his wife, Anna, uh, due to his infidelity. And there's a contentious legal battle uh, for custody of the children. Um, addiction had made him paranoid and financially unstable, which is bizarre if you think about how much money that guy must have made. Um, and that inspired yeah. him to return home. And uh, when he learned that his mother was recovering from kidney surgery at the time, that gave him more of a reason to move into the the family home in Los Angeles uh, to take care of his mom.
3: Oh, don't do it, Marv. Come yeah. stay with me and just like visit her. It's okay. Don't do it.
1: So he had a, you know, a, a, a uh, turbulent, tumultuous relationship with his wife, Anna, uh, Barry Gordy's yeah. older sister. So Anna Ruby Gay. Um, she was a composer songwriter. She's the older sister of Motown record Barry Gordy. And she was a record ex- uh, executive um, from the mid to late 1950s, um, you know, distributing records throughout through Checker and Gone Records, like, you know, massive labels and, uh, and Motown. She discovered so many so much talent. Um, she later became a songwriter for several hits, including uh, Baby, I'm For Real, and at least two songs on Marvin Gaye's uh, What's Going On album. So she actually contributed you know, directly to his career. I mean, they, were collabor- they had a collaborative relationship. So uh, she was the first wife of Marvin Gaye, uh, but yeah, they had a very troubled marriage, and uh, their divorce... I uh, was inspiration for Gay's uh, 15th studio album called Hear My Dear, which is probably one of the most depressing records I've ever heard. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's brilliant, but like listen, listening to that, you're like, wow, I feel like dog shit now. It's like, because you know, you listen to Morrissey and it's kind of comical depression. You know, he wallows in his self pity. Oh, this, he loves
3: it. Yeah, that's who Morrissey is as a person.
1: This album is the auditory version of Marvin Gaye's Dark Place. It's very dark and it's very depressing. Um, I highly recommend it.
2: Uh, So their their marriage
1: was uh, very, very turbulent, including they had like public fights. Um, They ended up adopting a boy, a baby boy born on November seventeenth, nineteen sixty six, who was named Marvin Penske the third. They adopted this boy to kind of in a you know dire attempt to save their marriage bring some stability to the home life
3: you know it happens because um, phil specter did that with ronnie as a way to trap her he like yeah. just came back with two twins one day and said here you go ronnie here are the kids you always wanted two of them yeah i wonder if
1: i wonder if marvin was abusive towards his son
3: i've read like mixed things about the children i think he deeply loved his children but he was obviously a very absentee uh drunk dad
1: um, the boy was said to have been naturally conceived by Anna and Marvin in the Motown's PR stories of the couple. Um, but Marvin confirmed the adoption uh, later in the, in the uh, biography by David Ritz, Divided Soul, The Life of Marvin Gaye. However, in later years, the actual yeah. truth came out about the uh, the parents of this child. The identity of the mother was revealed to be Denise Gordy, Anna's niece. <sighs> So Marvin was a shagger. That guy shagged. He even banged his wife's niece.
3: I, we've got to say this, so it's obvious. I mean, Marvin Gaye is young, beautiful, full of cum. Like, who wouldn't have like, shagged him at that time?
1: I mean, if I'm he's sure. he's putting the
3: moves on you, you're not going to say no.
1: I'm sure he shagged women, you know, throughout the world at the time. I don't think fidelity in his marriage was much of a concern to him, <laughs> but the fact no. that he would shag a woman so close to home here, related to his wife, his wife's niece, and then try to hide the, you know, the identity of the mother of their child, saying it was like an adopted kid, and then saying, oh no, it was naturally conceived. It's like-
3: For years. Ugh,
1: yeah. That's a dark secret. It's shady. Uh, early 70s, a couple moved to Hollywood. And then uh, two years later, in 1973, they filed for legal separation. Um, that's when Gay settled in with a young woman named Janice Hunter, with whom he, act- he had two biological children with. And then by sen- 1975, um, Anna Gordy filed for divorce officially. It took two years. And the case was settled in uh, Gordy's favor after Gay agreed to remit a portion of his royalties for his, from his next album to her. The resulting album was the depressing (laughs) Hear My Dear,
2: which gave audiences
1: a, you know, a very detailed view of the marriage from Marvin's point of view. So it's kind of like a never seen before, like glimpse into his personal life, but from his, you know, tailored from his perspective.
3: It's nearly like Fleetwood Mac, rumors.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, Rumors was interesting because you had like, you know... You
3: have all the sides. Yeah, you have both sides. sides. You
1: have Stevie Nicks writing, you had McFleewood writing both songs to each other.
3: Christine's, but yeah, this is just Marvin's. You know what else I've just realized as well? So when they're married, their two last names are Gay (laughs) Gordy.
1: Come on. Well, after its release, the album came out in 1978, Gordy was pissed off. And I've heard that and was just like, okay, that's some bullshit. That's your perspective on it. And she threatened to sue Marvin for $5 million for invasion of privacy, but nothing oh. really materialized from the threat. So nothing never, never really happened. Now, Marvin, I wouldn't say was the most loving husband towards Anna. Did you descri- did you say you read a New York Post article where he described her as a beast?
3: <laughs> right, no, <laughs> it well, wasn't Anna. You were talking about Janice, so I've oh. got some salacious stories about Janice. Oh, now. not okay, and not
1: Anna. was Janice?
3: Yeah, but oh my God, how he treated this poor girl like it just is just horrible. So Janice is the mother of two of his children, and he, she's going to be his like lifelong lover, father of his children, one of the world's most lusted uh, after kind of couples because they were they were hot. She's really good looking, and so is he.
1: I have to post a picture of those two on the website.
3: So they were all at a party one night. This is when uh, Marvin was with Anna, and Janice was there with like another friend. And she said that the four had been sm- smoke is the weed, they'd been snorting cocaine. It's kind of like that scene in Blue Collar where they're planning the heist, and they're having the orgy.
1: Yeah, but there's more women in this one. Oh, I guess, yeah, they did have an yeah, orgy. No, there's of there. women they, in that they, one. Yeah, they invited uh, the ladies.
3: So Marvin said, I think uh, that they want to take this uh, party to the next phase. A small intimate orgy is just what the doctor ordered. Apparently, he didn't participate, but he's acting as the ringleader. He's like the Charles Manson. So he's urging on the sexual proceedings between everyone. And he's got like, you know, this 17 year old girl there and this other couple that they've, that they've just met. And. Gay is like, he is so about this, and he's saying to her, You loved it, didn't you? And Janice is like, No, not really. It's like, not my scene, but like, I just did it to please you. And then he's like, Don't deny it. You were an animal in a heat. <laughs> you can get enough. This is your dream come true.
1: Wow. Well, so he coerced her into having an orgy.
3: Yeah, he gas her, right? So she met him when she was 17. Her mother, Barbara was friend with Ed Townsend and that's Marvin's producer. And he brought her into the studio one day to just watch them record. And of course he's going to notice her. She's beautiful. Soon after they fucked for the first time in his sparse one bedroom apartment, which had a hideous gold couch, her words, not mine. And, uh, Gay's assistant, who was a junkie named Abe, he also lived in this really, like, stingy one-bedroom apartment, so they were probably shagging in in front of the junkie on the gold couch.
1: Well, I mean, Gay was doing massive amounts of cocaine back then.
3: Fucking insane amounts. Wasn't
1: he, like, partying with Richard Pryor?
3: We're going to talk about that. So in Janice's book, she writes, the explosive power of our sexual union was incredible. We made love at every opportunity, night and day. We knew every inch of each of other's bodies. We never used birth control. It was clear that Marvin wanted me pregnant, and I did nothing to prevent that. She's going to be pregnant soon after. And get. this is when Marvin's going to start taking a turn because he was really happy that she was pregnant. And he was like a son. We're going to have a son. That's all. We're going to have a son. And anytime they like discuss the pregnancy or being pregnant, he's like, my boy, my boy is coming soon. And if she said, well, what if it's a girl? What will, you know, what should we name her? Should we buy some dresses? He was just like, we'll see about that. Right. So he's already been a dick. It's like, he can't (laughs) control these things. Unfortunately for Marvin, their first child, a girl born in September of 74, and they named her Nona. Her first words to Marvin upon seeing his child being like here's your healthy baby girl. She just went I'm really sorry.
1: Oh my that's terrible.
3: No, she she's apologized already apologized for
1: birthing a a female child to her, to her husband.
3: Yeah, like what is this Henry VIII days? He's yeah, I know.
1: Like,
3: we'll do better next time. But he did really love his daughter. He loved Nona and his attitude now starts to change towards Janice. Especially her new just given birth body, which obviously <laughs> fucking changes. He hated her stretch marks. He said, surely there's the way to get rid of those things. And he would comment about her like sagging boobs. She's 22, right? I'm pretty sure her sagging boobs weren't even sagging.
1: Well, that's understandable. I mean, that post prego body, <laughs> who can get it up for that? <laughs> <laughs> but they're going to bounce dick. back.
3: Like, Yeah, they're going to get through this terrible time and they go back to their family life where they would spend their days getting high on coke and smoking a ton of weed as like Marvin's writing and producing new music. George Clinton, Bernie Worrell, they're often dropping by. They're going to shoot some hoops. They're going to drop acid with Marvin. The couple were invited to watch Ike Turner in the studio. It wasn't when Ike raped Tina. It's just when he's hanging out and they talk about um, Ike carrying around his Coke in the suitcase, the famous suitcase of Coke.
1: Ike Turner, another very loving husband. Uh,
3: Just, you couldn't have been married to anyone nicer than Ike (laughs) Turner. They also partied with Richard Pryor, who invited them one night to watch bikini-clad dancers having sex with each other. Can I just say, people often forget this about Richard uh, Pryor, but he is a bi-icon.
1: Yeah, he was bisexual. I mean, he'd fuck anything, really. God, I would have loved to party with Richard Pryor. Could you imagine being at one of his parties?
3: I think we would all give our left nuts to go on a night out with Richard Pryor. Oh, man. And he'd want your left nut as well.
1: He probably would.
3: So you were just talking, so after a long and expansive legal battle, Gay finally divorced from Anna, and he married Janice in October of 77. Soon after this, he's telling her that he loved her, but he's not in love with her. You know, I love you, but, Mm. you know... (laughs) And so Janice is kind of now seeing like their marriage is a form of prison. She said that uh, all these you know comments about her sagging breast her stretch marks. She says there's a big pleasure between there's a big difference between pleasure and excitement. As a man, I can't help but seek excitement. And she was saying, I'm only barely 22, yet I'm convinced that I've lost my youth forever.
1: It's really sad. It is really sad. It's tragic. I mean, she was just a child, and now now she's in an abusive relationship, you know, with with this man who inherited that same abusive, violent tendencies from the father.
3: And he's much older, too. I mean, you can take your, like, trauma and your fucking abusiveness, like, whatever, into your 40s, but if you're still blaming your life on the shit that happened to you when you were in in childhood, grow the fuck up. Your life has to start at some point, doesn't it? Don't be in your 40s doing this shit.
1: I just don't think he ever really moved on. And that's evidence in the fact that he moved back home.
3: True. you know. So their marriage is going to fail because one day his jealousy turned completely violent. Here's a shock. <laughs> one day when he was high on a blend of uh, shrooms and cocaine, he started to talk about how Janice had betrayed him and he became completely enraged, even though she never had done anything. He took a kitchen knife and he put it to my throat. I was petrified. I was paralyzed. I thought it was all over. He said to her, I loved you v- too much. This love is killing me. I beg you to provoke me, provoke me right now, so I can take us both out of our misery.
1: Wow, murder suicide. It's
3: foreshadowing, isn't it? He calmed down, uh, but before he could do physical harm to her, but for Genesis is the final straw. Good for her. She took the kids. She got the fuck out.
1: Good. Gay that's said what she
3: to her, done. "He's these were her part, his parting words. He said to her when he was high on fucking coke." he said to janice that the end days were approaching and he was gonna and he was saying that he's gonna send her father or gang members th- that are gonna come and kill him if she doesn't come back to him and she never did so good for you janice she got yeah. out of janice
1: i mean but th- there you go there's another you know very abusive technique you know coercing Gaslight her to stay to fuck. yeah coercing her yeah. to stay by. You know this this imaginary threat of violence to make her feel bad, just another way you know to, to control somebody, manipulate someone. But yeah, he. I mean, that's the thing. It is tragic the way he died, but he was no saint by any stretch no. of imagination. And it's yeah, it's just I find it really hard to believe that somebody in their forties would still have this many issues, like unresolved issues with their with their parents. I mean, honestly, you should have had a therapist or at least twenty. But I mean, I. I it's just he had all these unresolved issues with his family that stayed with him through his forties, and then what does he do? He, you know, has a, a failed marriage with his first wife, another, you know, troubled failed relationship marriage. and failed marriage with his second wife.
3: Hundreds Co- of lovers.
1: You know, he's paranoid. He's delusional from his cocaine addiction. So what does he do? He moves back home with his family <sighs> and with his father, who he's all he still had a you know a. A violent relationship with. Yeah. It just seems like a tinderbox. Like there's no reason for him to do that. So even after decades, the old problems immediately resurfaced and the two started fighting again. And so, you know, Gay at this point, though he was probably one of the most famous musicians in the world, you know, uh, he was suffering an addiction to cocaine, a massive addiction to cocaine. I mean, he was doing a lot of drugs at the point. This um, is when
3: cocaine was fucking good. Yeah.
1: And that was leading yeah. to be delusional and paranoid. Um, so he w- had been carrying around a 38 um, gun at the time, like a 38 pistol. And so he gave the gun to his father a few months before he was actually murdered with, with the, uh, the gun um, because he was feeling paranoid that someone was going to kill him. And he was worried that he might use this on himself. So he gave the gun to his father and, um, at this point he had moved in and uh he said that you know he was in deep depression and uh he would be able to stay with his home and outside of the public eye which must have been putting a lot of pressure on him especially you know the paparazzi reporting on his marriage and all this i mean it's just tabloid feed at this point um so he was staying with his mother and he was taking care of his mother because she was uh you know coming recovering from a kidney surgery and uh, apparently, his father was becoming more and more agitated because the doorbell kept ringing on their house, um, which is which we should go visit. It's in uh, just south of uh, K Town.
3: Oh yeah, we're um, totally gonna go and see it. We'll put some pictures on the Patreon when we but, go.
1: But Marvin Gaye, I mean, he was you know a famous musician, so he had friends coming over. He had drug dealers dropping by, certainly. And Marvin Gay senior was quite pissed off about the about the foot traffic coming into his home uh, his sister mentioned that uh you know Marvin Gay Sr. just wanted a quiet life and he felt enraged and he was unable to get that thanks to the issues and problems arising from this famous musician son of his moving back into their home
3: didn't she move out because of the fights between uh Marvin senior and Marvin Jr was so his sister violent.
1: yeah I think yeah, she moved she in moves with out with a boyfriend at the time um the Marvin Gaye's mother, Alberta, uh, said, My husband never wanted Marvin, never liked him. He used to say he didn't think he was really his child. And she said, That's nonsense. He knew Marvin was his, but for some reason he didn't love Marvin. And what's worse, he didn't want her to love Marvin.
3: Oh my God. So sad. He's just a real
1: like, asshole, too. But I don't it's think like the Robert apple. Like
3: Robert Kardashian. Falls...
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think <laughs> the apple falls far, far from the tree. Yeah. And, uh, you know, also, you know, Marvin. Marvin Gaye definitely had issues uh, with his father's cross-dressing and rumored homosexuality and was worried about how it would reflect on his own image. Um, Gay. A biographer said that um, Marvin Gaye said, I find the situation all the more difficult because I have the same fascination with women's clothes. Um, in my case, that has nothing to do with an attraction for men. Sexually men don't interest in me. It's just something I fear.
3: Yeah, putting on like your girlfriend's bra and some tights doesn't make you gay. Like, you know, but this was the days before Rocky Horror, wasn't it? Before Rocky Horror made it okay.
1: To, when, like, when did Rocky be out Horror there. come out? Late 70s? Yeah,
3: 77. Hmm. But it was a stage play for years before that. But before, yeah, before that, I think it was seen as something wrong. But I think it's only natural. Like,. If you've got, if you grow up in a household of men and if you grow up in a household of women and you've got sisters, I'm pretty sure you're going to put a dress on, but it's at what point does it go from your well, mum putting a dress on you and forcing you going to school? Yeah. That it, you know, like ruins it for you. But I just think it's a natural thing. But I am a child of the early 2000s where like all my boyfriends painted their nails and wore eyeliner.
1: Eyeliner. It was like, uh, yeah. isn't that like a thing you did in, uh... A- with, the, with like the, it was the emo thing to do at the time
3: it wasn't necessarily i'm a bit before emo you're forgetting emo was about 2006 2007. we were still doing it but we, it was more we were like a second wave of golf are you saying you never wore guy liner
1: i never did that
3: did you not you've got beautiful blue eyes you could totally have smoked it out made it look good you would have had all the high school I don't,
1: people didn't really do that when i was younger I'm definitely not in mid michigan well so Marvin Gaye moved back in with his family. I think part of the thing that, you know, he was inspired to try to, like, make peace with his father. And I knew they had a, you know, a problematic relationship for years. I think he felt like, you know, decades being removed and, you know, and how he had grown as, like, a, a you know, an adult and, uh, and a father himself. I thought he maybe thought that could mend their relationship or at least, you know, bring peace to each other. he but- been
3: living Sorry, he'd been living in Belgium for a while as well. Yeah. So maybe just getting out of America, just like open to, you know, with all the good fries in Belgium, maybe it opened up his mind a little.
1: Well, in Who his knows? biography, I mean, he said, I have just one father and I want to make peace with him. But I don't think Marvin Gaye Sr. was able to make peace with his son. I mean, he had yeah. a, definitely had a bruised ego from his son purchasing the house that they all lived in. Um, and that he was, he didn't approve of his son's lifestyle either, with the drugs, you know, and his ex-wife, and I think he was just worried about his future and the future of his family, you know, due to like Marvin's, you know, financial instability as well, and I, I, I think a lot of it came from like his father being emasculated by his son.
3: Completely, especially because you, know? you know his mom's saying she never wanted him, and she never wanted him, and now he's there trying to make her hate her son. He fucking hates him. So why would he want to live in a house that he'd bought?
1: Exactly. And I think eventually things came to a boiling point between them.
3: Well, they definitely did, because the Prince of Motown was buried three days after his 45th birthday. Fans are going to be devastated when they learned how he died, because it's going to be a shock. Dying at 45? Young. Dying how he died?
1: At the hands of your (laughs) own father? Yeah.
3: So... no one was shocked that the death of uh, Marvin Gaye started with a fight between him and his father, like so many of us did on the house. On April the 1st, 1984, I would just like to point out I was not even alive then, because I'm a precious angel.
1: I was nine.
3: You were just a nine. You, you would have been a little boy, frolicking South Africa.
1: Yeah, I was in South Africa at the time.
3: Marvin Gaye and Marvin Gaye Sr. They had a physical altercation after another one of their fights in their Los Angeles home. It escalates. So the the elder, the elder Marvin, is going to become angry of Alberta over some missing insurance papers. Then Marvin, uh, Jr., began beating his father until their mother, Alberta, separated them in the bedroom.
1: So there must have been a fight between the mom and the dad, and Marvin probably as a kid, he intervened. I mean, you probably saw this as a child all the time. But I think as an adult, he intervened. Um, you well, know, they were yeah. confident at this so point. So they were
3: arguing in um, the parents' bedroom. So they were arguing in Marvin Sr.'s and Alberta's bedroom. And she leads Marvin Jr. out. And he's in his dressing gown. He's got a fucking gun in the pocket of his dressing. He's been in this dressing gown for like five days. He's got the coke sweats. And she leads him into his bedroom. That's how she's separating them. And so she's talking to, like, young Marvin in his bedroom. She's trying to calm him down. But his father's going to reach for the gift that his son has given him. He's going to reach for the 38th special. Marvin Sr., he enters the bedroom. And without saying anything, he shoots his son once in the chest. Now, this is, like, a Vietnam tactics shooting. He was a good fucking shot. Because the bullet enters on like a downward left trajectory and it goes through his heart, through his lungs, through his liver, and it comes out of his like left flank. That's a kill shot. You are not yeah, surviving right through the heart. Marvin is like slumping to the ground.
1: But was the he walk. also like four or five feet away? He wasn't. couldn't have been that far away. I'm in the bedroom. No,
3: of course. he's. Yeah, he's in the bedroom, but it's still a kill shot. He still aims for the heart, right? Yeah. His father approaches him and he shoots him a second and a third time in the chest. At point-blank range. Like, just right up to him.
1: Well, at that point, that's, that's unnecessary. I mean, he's already it's dead cruel. from the initial shot. And now he's, like, shoots him two more times, like, execution style. Style. It's, it's just it's so horrible. Yeah.
3: Marvin Jr.'s sister would later recall saying that their father once said that if uh, Marvin Jr. was to ever touch him, that he would kill him. So, it's, to me, that seems a bit like maybe maybe he went back home because he knew that he could push his father far enough that he could do the thing he was too scared to do which was to kill himself after years of because you know marvin had tried to kill himself before
1: well this he was wasn't... suicidal and he had suicidal yes. thoughts but it's interesting that so do you think he fought with his father knowing that his father was going to take his life
3: no i don't think he did that day but i certainly think he knew that his father was capable of killing him and you wouldn't put yourself in that position if you didn't think that that could be a possibility I think he had a lot of unresolved attitude, like, you know, emotions with his father, but I do think he knew he could kill him because his father's not a nice person.
1: Well, Jean later said in her biography that, uh, you know, Marvin put himself out of his own misery because he was, you know, he was paranoid, he was suicidal, he was very depressed. And, uh, I think he she said that he he brought relief to uh, her mother by finally getting her abusive husband out of her life. And he punished the father by making certain that the rest of his life would be miserable. So she felt that this was premeditated, that Marvin Jr. knew what he was doing here.
3: Yeah, he could have been. Uh Alberta, she fled in horror. Her younger son, Frankie, he lived um, in the guest house property uh, at the back of the house. He was the first one to enter the scene just after, you know, Marvin Gaye is, is basically dead. He's bleeding to death. Frankie later recalled how his mother collapsed before them crying. He shot Marvin. He's killed my boy. Frankie held his brother as he bled to death. And he says that Marvin's last words were these. I got what I wanted. I couldn't do it myself. So I had him do it. It's good. I ran my race. There's no more left in me.
1: So that makes me feel that it's almost like death by cop, you know?
3: Yeah, it's suicide by cop, totally. Yeah,
1: suicide by cop. Like, I think he knew he was going to die, so he provoked his father, knowing that his father was going to shoot him.
3: A little clue into how, because Marvin, uh, Marvin Sr., after he had uh, killed his son, he went, uh, there's kind of mixed reports about what he did with the 38, but the paramedics did find the gun underneath the pillow in his bedroom. So he went back into his bedroom. He put the gun under his pillow and then he either went down the front steps or he went down the back steps in the house because there was two stairways. And he just sat calmly on the porch waiting for the paramedics to come. And when they did toxicology reports on both Marvin Jr. and Marvin Sr., they both had cocaine and PCP <laughs> in their system at the time of Marvin's death. This is later stated that honey I had trace amounts of cocaine, but I highly fucking still, doubt
1: that. Yeah, I highly doubt Marvin Jr. had trace amounts of cocaine. And I'm sure, I'm sure his father was doing his fair share.
3: Yeah, definitely. And so when the police arrived as well, they're going to, you know, Try and get, like, you know, a a kind of calm on the situation and kind of like talking to him. They asked him if he ever loved his son. And he coldly said, Let's say I didn't dislike him.
1: Oof. What the
3: fuck, man? Yeah. He's like a sociopath. It's terrible.
1: So the murder house, the address is uh, 2101 South Gramercy Place in the West Adams District of Los Angeles, which is just south of K Town. I mean, I didn't even live that far near it. And I'm pretty sure I've driven by. But just never, you know, recognized it or knew to look for it. But the the home was built in 1905, purchased by Marvin Gay in 1975. Um, he uh, ended up handing it over to his parents just a year after purchasing it. But aside from just a few cosmetic changes, I mean, it looks pretty much the same since when he died in 1984. So we should definitely check that out when you're here next month.
3: Yeah, and. Uh, For those who are interested, everyone knows that I love Scott Michaels. Scott Michaels went to a party there like 15 years ago. And he just put up a video about like, obviously, it's old. Like, you know, back in the day, no one had uh, mobile phones to like make little videos with. So he was probably there with like a digital camera. Like, that's (laughs) how long ago it was. Wow. Uh, So you can see the inside of the house and it's pretty like... Yeah, I would do. yeah, 1905. You can see that now. It's got all oak beams. It's very nice. I would live in murder house. I wonder house. who lives there now. I don't know, but like I would love to live in a murder house, wouldn't you? Like oh, on yeah. every April the 1st and the 2nd, I'd be totally having tours come in through. I'd be like, "Come and see the bedrooms, boys. Get in."
1: Make it Get a near museum. Your death hacks. Yeah, I would totally make that a museum. Like I've always said would... that people should do that with Danzig's house in Los Feliz. <gasps> Could you imagine yes. making that like a Misfits museum of just dancing shit that he has, you know, collected over the years?
3: Five books entry. Yeah, no, it yeah. would be a dollar thirty eight entry.
1: <laughs> One thirty eight. Yeah. So after uh, uh, the funeral here, um, or Marvin Gaye's funeral, I have a bunch of pictures I'm going to post to uh, to uh, the site. But there was a performance of from Stevie Wonder at the funeral. Um, and Steve, I have a picture of Stevie Wonder, like right at Marvin's coffin, because they had an open casket. Um, he didn't Oof. get shot in the face. Well, um, after the funeral, Marvin gave was cremated and his ashes were scattered near the Pacific Ocean. Um, Marvin Gaye Sr. was never shy about the venom he had towards his son, but his attitude definitely shifted. It definitely changed following his son's death. Um, and I don't know if he was doing this because you know, to gain the favor of the public or maybe to lessen the charges against him in court. But he made statements professing his grief over losing his beloved child and claimed that he wasn't fully aware of, you know, his mental faculties at the time. He wasn't aware of what he was doing.
3: Well, Um, he was on drugs, but he certainly wasn't his beloved son.
1: Well, in an interview before the trial, he said, I pulled the trigger, but he claimed that he thought the gun was loaded with BB pellets. Come Can you on. do
3: that? I don't know no. about guns. Can you do that in a 38? Put BB pellets in them?
1: Well, I think he thought he had a BB gun, not a real gun, but that, that's idiotic. No
3: fuck off. Fuck that's off.
1: idiotic. Yeah. Um He said uh the first shot didn't seem to bother him. So the first one didn't <laughs> bother him. He put his hand up to his face like he'd been hit with a BB, and that's why he fired again. That's his At rationale. Point blank here. range.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: He claimed that his son had become something like a beast-like person on cocaine and that the singer had beat him terribly, which precipitated the shooting. So he's trying to go with the self-defense claim here.
3: I do think that's true, though. I do think they definitely will have had physical fights probably their whole life. As soon as Marvin could throw a fist back, I'm pretty sure it happened.
1: Well, but, you know, there was, you know, subsequent investigations after his death and the coroner's report said that there was no indication of real bruises like that he'd been punched out or that kind of stuff. So, yeah, on that day. Yeah. Well, on that day, um, I know people said the argument, they were lots of theories why this started. Some people said, you know, the insurance papers, his parents were arguing and that's why he got into it. Um, some people said that there was a fight over the plans for his 45th birthday. You know, that would make sense, because his dad day. doesn't
3: want a party, does he, at the house? Well,
1: yeah, like his dad didn't want a party, you know, didn't want all these people coming over. Um, later reports said that the fight was over this insurance policy letter that Alberta had misplaced, and he was screaming at his, wa- at his wife, and that's when Marvin intervened. But regardless, um, you know, Marvin Gaye Sr. said that he was remorseful, and that he didn't even know his son had died until a detective told him hours later. He said he couldn't believe it. He thought he was kidding me, and he just said, "Oh God of mercy, oh oh!" And he was shocked. So he went to pieces. He was cold, and he didn't know what to do. He just sat there, sitting like a mummy. So his yep. words,
3: <laughs> yeah, because he realizes that he's going to go to fucking jail, probably, and not because he's sad about what he's done or how it's escalated. Probably because he's like, "Fuck, I'm going to jail."
1: Well, I think this, you know, this this veil of uh, sorrow. And sadness that he was uh, he was assuming here definitely paid off. I mean, I'm sure his attorneys coached him because the courts had sympathy for him. On September 2nd or 20th, on September 20th, 1984, uh, Marvin Gay Sr. entered a plea bargain of no contest to one charge of voluntary manslaughter. So he was given a suspended six-year sentence with five years probation. Wow! Uh, but he and and he ended up dying in a California nursing home, 1998, at age 84. So he didn't even really serve any time. For murdering he didn't his didn't anything. Yeah.
3: And he got another 15 years on the outside.
1: Wow. Yeah, isn't that terrible? It's sad. Uh, he gave his last words on the death of Marvin Gaye at his sentencing, November 20th, 1984. He said, If I could bring him back, I would. I was afraid of him. I thought I was going to get hurt. I didn't know what was going to happen. I'm really sorry for everything that happened. I loved him. I wish we could step through this door. I wish he could step through this door right now. I'm paying the price.
3: Good. You didn't pay enough of a price, as far as I'm concerned. He should have died in jail. So
1: disingenuous. I mean, he's just yes. doing this to garner sympathy from the, from the jury and from the judge. Because he was yeah. faced with, like, severe, like, legit jail time here.
3: Shooting your son in the fucking heart, not once, but twice. But thrice. Like, at least deserves some jail time.
1: <laughs> well, regardless of how he feels now, his son's dead and Marvin Gaye you know, died at it was an untimely death. I mean, he was young. He was right before his 45th birthday. You know, and um, it's it is tragic though that a father and son were never never able to really move beyond this cycle of abuse and that it carried on to in Marvin's own life with his children. And his it wife. kind
3: of reminds me of like how what, I just wish like Amy Winehouse had just turned around to Mitch and told him to fuck off. That's just what I want for Marvin Gaye. I just wish at some point in his life he just turned around and said, you know what? Fuck you. You're just not part of my life anymore. Because otherwise it just ends in horrible things like this, just ends in people dying young.
1: Yeah. And it's it's a pity that, you know, just his success in music, you know, couldn't, wasn't enough for him to, to move beyond like, you know, this, this, these issues with his father. You know, it's like you'd think that would, you'd think that you know, he was such a successful artist, you know, an icon, really, a Motown legend, not to mention having his own family and everything. He was never able to escape, you know, the, uh, the abuse and the trauma that he had left over from his father. But anyway, it is the death anniversary of Marvin Gaye. 39 years ago, he died on this day. And uh, yeah, I think everybody should put on a Marvin Gaye record. Go put on your favorite Marvin Gaye record. Listen to the whole thing. Start to finish.
3: My favorite is Ain't That Peculiar. Have that, have a bop about the house to it. It's a fantastic, uh, it's only free cards. Only free cards, but they're the best cards.
1: Put on my favorite sexy time record. I want you. <laughs> yeah. Go, yeah. Get it on. In fact, do I want, do Let's Get It On and Then I Want You. Back to back. Oh,
3: my God.
1: (laughs) People, this is episode 888 here of Sick and Wrong. we got some phone calls coming up next, 323-522-4032. But first, here's a quick message from Adam and Eve.
0: Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. This is Trucker Paul. i got to tell you about this wonderful porno place where you can buy jack-off machines, dildos, inflatable wives. I've bought them all. When I go home, I like to fiddle my wife with a, a little dildo. When I'm on the road, I got my second wife, my blow doll, and my jack-off sleeve. Go to adamandeve.com. Type in the word fiddle D-I-D-D-L-E
2: you'll get 50% off all your masturbation machines. How do y'all flick my balls? I put a spell on you.
1: It's Kate Rambo. We have a couple phone calls here. People, you can call the Sigurong hotline, 323-522-4032. Or you can email us, sigurongpodcast at uh, gmail.com. Um, we're still trying to build up that backlog. So if you have any good stories, uh, definitely give us a call. I know we were asking for the death of a coworker. Um, if you have a, a death of a coworker story, call that in. Um, uh, or if you have a story about getting it, laid off, give us a call about that too.
3: As I say, I don't think anyone can top Allison's story of death of a coworker.
1: That, that was, was probably my favorite. my favorite. That was pretty definitely. good. Definitely. Yeah. That
3: was really good. She set
1: the bar pretty high there. Um, well, this listener called in here with a a very creepy story. Oh,
0: it's
1: a couple. It's a two parter. So here we go.
0: Hello, um, I'm probably like I don't know three or four months short of being a year behind on your podcast.
1: Uh, wait, wait. She's three or four months short of being a year behind. So she's going back. And then listening up to where we are now.
3: Oh, that's cool. I'm like I'm bad when I start podcasts. Although when I start podcasts that have, have as many episodes as this one, all I do is I'll like scroll through and find random episode titles I like, or like I'll be like, oh, I know about that, and I'll listen to that. And then I start listening chronologically, and I know that drives people wild.
1: You know, my uh, buddy Big Jeff uh, called in or called me, texted me the other day, asking me about. Which episode he was on, because he wanted by the archives to hear that episode, and so I had to do some digging to try to even figure that out. But he was on episode sixty. Um, I recommend people going back and checking that one out because it's pretty funny. I don't. I think Wackerly was in like Alaska or something at the yeah. time for his job. You
3: said, and like so I had Big Jeff places. on.
1: Yeah, Big Jeff used to do security for uh, for a company in Vegas when he lived there. So he did security for like celebrities, but he also did security at a, several different strip clubs including the strip club i worked at i got him a job there so he had some crazy stories about doing security for strippers and different fights that he got into back in the day so cool, um, i'm gonna give that a listen yeah i, I recommend mean to checking go through it
3: out and listen to the really old yes but then i just put i'm really sorry i just put from the villain instead and get my steel fix
1: well i think you prefer from the villain than, than sick and wrong as I don't. Parent. Oh, you like, do
3: uh, <laughs> I'll listen to it eventually. I just love it. Yeah, I just love John Steele, and I'm not afraid to say it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've listened to From the Ville probably like three or four times, but you've never listened to any of the older episodes of Sick and Wrong.
3: I have. Excuse me. You're forgetting that I actually started out as a listener to this show, and then I yokoed my way into it.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you've never went back and listened to the history of Sick and Wrong. You've only listened to Front the Bill because I, I think, truly, in your heart, you don't like Wackily as a host.
3: <gasps> what are you trying to say? Is that because Wackily has said uh, some antagonizing things to me in the past?
1: No, it's because you have never listened to the archives.
3: Okay, right. Well, don't test my Aries nature because I will. I will do it just to prove people wrong.
1: I'll believe it when point. I hear it.
3: Okay, I'll believe All right, it can when, do I, that? when I are hear we? about Good it. Business?
1: But it. It is interesting when you go back through the archives, because I mean, it's it's like, nostalgia. yeah,
3: it's
1: nostalgic because you hear about what's going on through history, but you also hear about what's going on in like the host lives. So when I went back and I was listening to this episode 60, I was like, oh, shit, I completely forgot about this. But the fact of the matter is, you don't really need to listen to the show in sequence because it's not really in any kind of order, sequential order. Um, But I do recommend going back and listening to the recent episodes.
0: I am a Patreon subscriber at the top tier. I don't Ooh. really think that, that matters.
1: Oh, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I think It does uh, matter. I think your name is Black Dahlia, right? On it?
3: Yes, she's Elizabeth Shaw.
1: Yeah, so um Which yeah. It's very well, inventive. Yeah. And well, I love it. Thanks for being on Patreon and giving us a call.
0: Um, however, uh I try to do a little bit of pre-research to try to figure out what kind of drunk dials you were looking for. And the last thing that I saw that Kate was looking like, looking for creepy stories. Oh, I've wait. got tons. Um, I think the creepiest story was when I was growing up. Uh, maybe when I was about 12 or 13, me and my best friend, um, She and I, we had a lot of little sleepovers, and of course, we talked about, like, creepy things that had happened to us, and I had, I think, what was it, ghosts just constantly watching over me. I thought that maybe it was a, uh, like, an imaginary friend, and my mom thought the same thing, so we always (gasps) set the table from him.
1: His
3: name was Ian. And his name is what? Yeah.
1: Wait, his name was Ian?
3: Is she, <laughs> she said Ian as well.
1: I'm very white. I, I, What You had like an imaginary British friend? Like a chav this is or my, something?
3: This is my a ghost lad. friend, Ian. And this is my other ghost friend, Nigel. And that's his <laughs> best friend, Barry.
1: Just two annoying lads who are now banned from coming to Amsterdam. Have you heard that? Amsterdam's trying to stop lads from coming over.
3: Oh, I think they try and do that periodically all the time, but it'll never happen because lads are their bread and butter, mate.
1: Oh my God. They, and lads are just drawn to the city of Amsterdam. Well, why not? When, remember when we were there, was that last summer or the summer before?
3: Oh, oh. It was just, yeah, it was, no, it, yeah, it was, you were getting tattooed last summer. It was yeah, just it was before last we got, uh, and it was, yeah, it was just when the COVID mandates had kind of dropped. And I remember saying to you, if we don't catch COVID or gonorrhea, just that's in the air here, then we're going to be immune from everything for the rest of our lives. Because how many lads were there?
1: Well, I just recall we were sitting there, you know, smoking weed and I think drinking beer at some corner cafe. And we just see this lad. Well, a group of lads were standing outside one of the prostitute closets and we see this one lad walk out, and all of them just started cheering. One had a bottle oh, of champagne. champagne. Yeah, it was like he, he obviously just popped his cherry.
3: Wow.
0: <laughs> I
1: thought it was Twisted Firestarter at first.
3: <laughs> he wasn't so lucky.
0: And, yeah, so we just wasted a table for him, and I thought he was in love with me, and we were just the happiest people ever until I didn't see his face and to
1: explain my friend saw him wait wait, wait. so they both is saw the same ian imaginary friend
3: we're calling him ian now he's called ian him.
1: okay they they both saw ian but they never saw his face
3: but the mum is mum is i don't know if the mum's like placating them by saying oh and here's a setting for ian cuz that must be so weird when your kid has an imaginary friend because at what point do you start thinking are they seeing shit
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. at that point, I'd be, I guess it depends on the the nature of the relationship. <laughs> <And so that's laughs> yeah, but she's think. like,
3: Ian's in love with me. And I must admit, I love that attitude for a little girl where she's like, mm-hmm. Ian loves me. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, of course he should, because you're the best. And
0: then I realized what he actually looked like. And he kind of looked like
3: decaying flesh.
1: At first, I thought she was going to say Dick Cheney. And I was like, oh, that's weird.
3: <laughs> I, I immediately went racist in my mind, but that's fine. <laughs> he didn't really have a face.
0: I could only really see his eyes and a smile, which was sharp teeth.
1: Well, okay. It sounds like, so had- it
3: sounds like my husband.
1: Like slender man or something he had like That's a like di- you,
3: with your <laughs> dark eyes your dark G- the decaying
1: flesh on my uh my face kind of sounds like a cross between like what freddy krueger and slender man or something
3: this is the type of stuff i see on acid i see like decaying bodies and like skulls on fire and stuff but i never get free i'm always like fascinated by it i'm like oh look at that oh it's just a rock it's fine. It's not a, it's not a decaying skull. <laughs> it's fine.
1: It sounds very healthy. <laughs> um,
3: yeah,
0: before that, it was always really like shadows and just like this warm, fuzzy feeling. And so my friend saw him.
1: Shadow people. And then after
0: that, it was more like he was a stalker. <laughs> um, anyway, the end of that summer with my friend, we ended up uh, doing some weird wicked shit. And yeah, he just that appeared age. in a blaze of fire. If you believe me.
3: Wait, cool. he
1: appeared in a what'd you say, an explosion of fire?
3: Yeah, like they're doing like you know you like when you're thirteen and uh this is the age you where you do all the exploring with you I am waiting for it to turn sexual. I don't think it is, but I am waiting for it. Is that a bit noncy of me?
1: Yeah, they're like thirteen years old. That's like very oh, non
3: I mean, I'm not saying it happened to me, but it
1: happened. I don't know where you're going with this, Kate Rambo. Is this like a, like a therapy <laughs> session for you? You're getting it out? It's cathartic? This
3: episode is. Yeah, we talked all wow. about the problems with my father, how I didn't get enough attention during childhood, and now I'm talking about maybe being diddled when I was 13 by another 13-year-old. But anyways, that's So what, cool. you used to
1: scissor your prepubescent friends during sleepovers? <laughs> Scissoring frozen... wasn't invented back then. Did you get the frozen Scissorin... hot dogs? Out of the freezer?
3: <laughs> That's a very 1970s of you. It's creepy. It's not, I don't give a shit. That's what the fuck happened. Um,
0: I hadn't talked to that best friend in probably 20 years. Oh. Yeah. Nice. It had been at least 20 years, and I very vaguely mentioned it, and she exactly remembered what I was talking about, so... Cool.
1: I don't know if that we'll means saw me. Ian Well there you go I guess uh I guess she has an imaginary friend here um named Ian. Ian. I just wonder if she still has any contact with Ian to this day
3: Ian I also would like to make this disclaimer now has the like you know when they do Ian with an extra i in his name he's not just i a n he's i a i n
1: i n yeah yeah. My friend Sleazy Eve spells his name like that. Isn't that the Welsh way to spell it?
3: I think it's the Scottish or Gaelic. Way. Yeah. yeah. Ian Banks as well.
1: Um, well, she comes back in with a part two. Hi,
0: this is me again with, I guess, a part two with Ian, the crazy ex-demon ghost boyfriend.
2: It is um,
3: Ian.
1: Whoa. She said, uh, was she a demon ex-boyfriend?
3: Imagine, I actually really like this story because your first ever love. Like my first ever love was Ace Ventura slash Keanu Reeves. But hers is like this, this decaying demonic creature that her mom used to set places I, for at the dinner table. I think this is pretty fucking cool.
1: An entity. You know, I always it's, thought it was really yeah. weird. Um, so it's Passover this week. And so part of uh, when you're at a Passover Seder, you have to set like uh, a cup of wine. And some people even do a full table setting for the prophet Elijah. So it's just okay. like this, this one just, you know, Table setting that, you know, that that's just sitting there that no one uses with a, cu- a full cup of wine that's just there for this imaginary prophet to come in. And what Jews do, there's a point in the, the Seder, which is like a service within a meal, where the rabbi's like, okay. And my, my dad would get really into it. He's like, it's time for Elijah to come over. And he would just go and walk and open the door. And like Elijah's supposed oh, to just kind of right. walk in. Yeah. And drink the wine. And you're just like, I remember just as a kid being like really confused and like, this is just bizarre that we do this every year because the motherfucker never shows up and the wine's it's just, just going to sit in there. Oh me, oh, me and my brother would steal the wine. Usually. I was
3: about to say, do you, is there a point kind of like when you, you know, when kids leave like food out for Santa, is there a point in the night where you just go, well, Elijah's had his, but he's had a bit too much. So I'm going to have Elijah's now, you know, I'm helping, I'm helping the old boy out.
1: Well, it was like uh, Manashevit, so It tastes like shit. If Phil if spec's his favorite wine. Yeah, if it was decent wine, then we'd probably drink it.
0: Uh, uh yeah. So basically you believe it or you don't, but in whatever way he went out with fire. Um, yeah. So that's the craziest story I ever had. And um where I'm at in the podcast, you actually ask for crazy drug stories. I've got lots of those. So oh, I hear. let me know um, which ones you had. Um Let me start with this one time when I had been on meth for
3: like, I don't know, like four or five days.
1: She said you'd done meth for four or five she days? She was on a
3: meth binge for four or five days. Yeah. She well, no like wonder Jeffrey. you're
1: seeing this fucking creepy decaying flesh entity <laughs> doing all that meth for four or five days. God.
0: Um, I hadn't slept probably in four or five days and being with ADHD and insomnia that's not unusual However, being holy shit
1: that. that's, a, little that's a good way to treat ADHD here's, <laughs> here's ADHD in powder form
0: <laughs> unusual because I saw a SWAT team coming in my bedroom and my home I guess, like, when when you put those claws on the top of the roof and you, like, come in, like, on those wires, like that. And I was, like, coming in and breaking oh, the The grappling hooks. Yeah. Freaking out. And I thought that was really happening. And I was awake.
1: It's like a paranoid so delusion. I not like,
0: wake up and be like, okay, this isn't real because I was awake. So every time I thought, okay, let me wake up and this isn't real, it just kept happening. So that kept happening and occurring. And then um, I would say I would finally came to, but I didn't really come to at all. Um, anyway, so basically I thought I had a tampon still in me. And I-
1: wait, wait a second. So this went from SWAT team entering into your house to take your tampon out?
3: Oh, my God, yeah, because... We've all been, like, I can even say this is just a drunk. I've told the tampon story about having to go to the hospital a few times on the Patreon now. But I couldn't imagine, like, you know how when you're super fixated, when you're high on something, that, you know, you'll pick it yourself.
1: Well, like, imagine at yourself. Their, um, their face usually is covered in, like, you know, well, blemishes.
3: Yeah. Imagine thinking there's something inside your cunt when there isn't anything. You're going to do your darndest to get that fucking tampon out and there's nothing there. Oh, it's making me oh. kind of...
1: I but I just right. don't get what's the connection with the SWAT team? Like, was she having her first paranoid delusion that the SWAT team is coming in? Next thing you know, she thinks she's got a tampon stuck up and
3: she's getting ready for the SWAT team. Clunge. She's gonna take them on any way she knows how. <laughs> <laughs> and my ex husband
0: told me that I didn't, but I didn't believe him. And yeah. So I still have thirty seconds left. I don't really know what to say. Um, if you really want to hear more about this story and what happened next, yeah, what happened to the tampon? Yeah, did you have know? to go to
3: hospital? Because I bet um, you were tr- fucking fingering your yeah, puss for ages. I thought that the SWAT
0: was coming into my home. I don't really know why I thought that. Uh, this was. Over it kind of sounds like ago. she's
1: on drugs now, um, telling this story because it's very difficult it to funny. follow.
3: Uh, oh, an American on drugs? Because that real never thing happens. That I'd ever seen. And
0: from a person that has ADHD that constantly takes uppers and amphetamines to keep her brain straight, you would think that none of that shit really had effect on her. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, maybe stay off the meth. I think that's a good idea. But I'm I gonna... think
3: staying off meth is good for everyone, D not just this one particular, everyone.
1: Yeah, right? I don't think it's a good idea to be, uh, to be doing the methamphetamines. Um, that comes from my like, personal experience. But uh, she sounds young, so it, it sounds like uh, you, know, you have plenty of time to stop. I want to know, A, what happened to the tampon, and B, what happened to Ian? Like, Did you ever see Ian after the big flame out? Yeah,
3: does he ever, like, appear in your dreams and stuff? Maybe talking about him now, he you might, like, because you'll be remembering him more, he might, like, just pop up and be like, hello, because he's obviously British, because he's called Ian.
1: Did, and the fact that you guys were, you referred to him as your ex-boyfriend, did you ever give him, like, a, <gasps> a phantasmagorical so handjob? <laughs> like, I, I want to know, like, it, it, yeah, like, it, did slime come out? Like, what, what happened here? I want to know, uh, I want to know, did you guys ever... uh end up hooking up do
3: the up. entity yeah do you ever do the monster mash well
1: because in the remember the movie the entity, entity didn't she get like so uh, raped by the ghost
3: yeah. yeah we covered that didn't we like yeah, probably we back where uh elizabeth short is listening we covered it yeah a few years then. ago
1: you know i had an ex who claimed to have been raped by a ghost
3: was she on drugs though i always feel if you're on drugs it can't be counted
1: no, I mean, she said she woke up and it was like during the week, middle of the night. And she said she felt like she was being held down. She couldn't get up. And she felt something like on top of her inside, into her. inside her. Yeah.
3: Was she like, did it feel like a dick? And was she coming off it? At my next well, two questions. That's what
1: I said. I was like, if it feels like more than two fingers, it's probably a dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't know if uh, she said she was really scared. And she it woke her up. And she said it only lasted for maybe like thirty seconds, twenty seconds.
3: Oh, that's that's just like a night terror. That wasn't real. It's just a night terror where you wake up and you're just like, "Holy fuck! Like, what's going on?" Just a yeah, night terror, I mean, babe. Get over it.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. She claimed that she was she was raped. There was a ghost rapist. So I want to know: Did you ever have relations with with uh, Ian? With Ian? So give us a call. 323-522-4032. Yeah, I know this is good. This is really good. I imagine because she's going to be listening back through the old episodes, we'll It'll probably have while. asked for different topics to call in. So we'll probably, uh, we'll probably have we a few more. We should sprinkle
3: them in for her every yeah.
1: so often. <laughs> anyway, um, people, you can call us the show, 323-522-4032, or send us an email, sigroundpodcast at com You can just send us an mp3. Big ups to all the listeners who support us on Patreon. We definitely appreciate you uh, helping us not have to put ads, eight minutes of advertising on the show, and keeping the show going. You know, the, you really do. The people on Patreon keep this yeah. show going. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up today. Uh, finally, here, um, uh, if, you, if you haven't bought some sick and wrong merch and you really want to buy some sick and wrong merch, uh, now's a chance. Go to the T Public Store. I think uh, they're probably having a sale. I got to update. I've been working on a few designs. I just haven't updated uh, the store recently, but I got to do that. But anyway, just go to slash it... shop, click on the picture of the Pope, and buy yourself some uh, sickerrong teas.
3: I was going to say saying? there's a, a shirt desi- design I want you to make so that when me, Big Titty Golf Detective, and um, Claudia have our meetup, I want us to all wear this t shirt. So there is a design you have to make quick. And then if anyone else wants to wear it, they can be like the bitches of Eastwick.
1: All right, I'll be working on that. That's how a name. (laughs) Finally here, Sing Song of the Week. Um, We're going to have to play Dirty Diana by Michael Jackson. Um, You know know that song is all about Diana Ross.
3: Is it about how dirty she is? Because I've seen the way she eats ribs. She's dirty.
1: The milk's gone bad. I think that's what Michael (laughs) Jackson discovered. (laughs) We're joking. April Fool's people. Diana Ross didn't die. (laughs) <laughs> she's still alive
3: this is Dee's grand plan but i don't think your april fools will ever be as good as soft and warm that was the uh the pinnacle of uh, sick and wrong april fools
1: we've done a few we've done a few april fools jokes over the years soft and warm is a good episode which you probably haven't even listened to that episode
3: I have not listened, but I know the yeah. law of sick, of uh, soft and warm. So, you know, that's been passed down But you don't the even know what happened
1: in the episode, why it was I've soft been and told warm. by
3: people who've listened to it.
1: Yeah, right. I um, have. I'm a member of hearsay. the Discord, but they all listen. Actually, but people, you should go listen to that one. That was a good April Fool's joke. But uh, Diana Ross is not dead. She did not die. She doesn't have Parkinson's. It was all a lie. It was all a ruse. Imagine, it was all an April right. Fool's joke.
3: D, I just wanna put this out there. Imagine if you're saying that she hasn't died now. Edit this episode, fire it up, and she dies like ten minutes after you've put the episode
1: up. <laughs> I will feel you, bad. Yeah. You do which Do you think she'll <laughs> haunt me like Ian?
3: Ooh, well I could think of she's pretty hot. I mean if you're gonna be haunted, might as well be haunted by a Diana fucking Ross.
1: Well, Diana Ross from the seventies, not now.
3: She still thought kind of me. She still got she, it. Yeah,
1: she kind of looks like the uh was that that creature that took her eye out in the dark crystal? People might remember. Oh. It's a very obscure reference <laughs> there, but that's what kind of Diana Ross yeah. sort of looks like that these days. Um, do you know she she actually just announced her music legacy tour? And it's gonna She's celebrate gonna her it. number yeah, her number one hits as a solo artist and with Supremes.
3: <gasps> right. Even though, like obviously I know I love Debbie Harry and Debbie Harry can't hit the notes anymore. I wonder if Diana Ross can, because well, she's trained. What
1: I find a bit puzzling about this is you think, oh, Diana Ross is about to do a, a, you know, a, a big tour, doing all of her hits you know, from her solo career in the Supreme. She's going to probably play these massive venues. She's not. She's kicking it off on June 9th in Temecula, California at the <gasps> Pechanga Resort and Casino.
3: I kind of love this though. You can go and see a legend. Do you know what's going to be better than the actual show? What's going to be about this is the show. Okay, it's going to be the lights and it's going to be the costumes. It's kind of going to be like seeing Liberace. And can we go?
1: Well, you maybe if you're here, but in my dreams, in D,
3: just say yes. Just say yes. We're going.
1: Sure, I might go check it out. Temecula is not that far from here.
3: So the Coltrane's trains are from, by the way. Best band ever.
1: I just find it funny that. Uh... Yeah, she's doing the casino tours, playing San Diego, Santa Barbara, Reno, Atlantic City.
3: Uh, we could go to Santa Barbara, make a day of it, get the train up, get drunk on the train. Let's do it. I've got it all um, planned. I want to see the sequin dresses.
1: Yeah, I find it bizarre that she's doing a casino. Anyway, I doubt that many people were really even that surprised by that April Fool's joke. Maybe there's a couple people who are like, oh, my God, not Diana Ross. But I think most people are like, oh, I <laughs> thought she of- died years ago. <laughs> like, I was going to
3: say, a couple of Marvin gays. <laughs> <who laughs> took straight to the Internet in horror. Just,
1: yeah, still looking it up on their phone. I, don't, I, I bet you most people are just kind of like, uh, okay, we thought she died like 10 years ago. Who know, Who cares? Uh, but no, uh, sure. she's alive and kicking and about to tour. So anyway, we're actually going go? to uh, end the show with a Marvin Gaye song because he's not alive. And not only is it his death anniversary today, it's also his birthday, April 2nd. Uh, tomorrow, he would have been 84 years old. So uh, we're going to end the show with a song of his. that a lot of people might not even know called I'm going home, which is eerily prophetic. It's a song yeah. that uh, came out. What well, was a song that he had recorded uh, in the 60s, uh, maybe early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, but it came out on a, on a posthumous release. It was a compilation released in uh, 1986, a couple of years after his death, called Motown Remembers. Marvin Gaye never before released Masters. So it was just a compilation of a lot of hits that he just never released from late 60s and early 70s. But this song, I'm Going Home, in it, He's singing, it is It is very just, it's just eerie listening to it, considering that you know what happened when he went home. It says, I'm going home to see my mother. I'm going home to see my dear old dad. I'm going home to be with my sister. I'm going home. Won't my brother be glad?
3: Uh, yeah, some of those people will be glad. Mar- Marvin, listening- you should have just come to my house, stayed with me. It would have been fine.
1: I was listening to, uh, to it last night, and the song came on, and I was just like, dude, bro. Broheim, don't go home. <laughs> don't do it. Stay in Belgium. Fuck, you know, fuck some bitches. Have orgies. Do some cocaine. Don't go home. But he Mate. did. And we all know what happened there. So rest in peace, Marvin Gaye, legend, legendary musician. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, he'll definitely be remembered. It's a legacy there. So um, people will be back next week with uh, episode 889. Till then, take it easy.
2: I'm going home. To make it on. station wagon, Mr. With, with harvest Fuqua, and you, you bumped your knee on the door, looking up to tell me goodbye.
1: Mm-hmm. And I went to you goodbye, and that's when you left home, and things began to move there. And you went through a period of, I guess, uh, little hardships, which mm. is which is a part of a person's bring them up, and in, in a part of their, you know, build them up. Mm. And finally when you first put out your first record scene to me, I was surprised along the way. I said, Here's a dream come true. I had a lot of dreams about you and I saw it didn't And then after that year he's doing the very thing that you told me
2: he would do.